welcome to episode two of the State Champs Extra Innings podcast for the state of Michigan. Alongside Rob Mendyka, I'm your host, Adam Woolley. This week, we're going to have a chance to sit down with a few of the finest coaches in the state of Michigan and pick their collective brains on a myriad of topics relative to baseball in our great state. But first, we have to recognize our sponsors who make this podcast possible. Rod, Rob, take it away. <laughs> state Champs Michigan Extra Innings podcast is presented by Lawrence Technological University. Recruit yourself to one of two dozen varsity level sports, including baseball, at Lawrence Tech. Simply log on to lotuathletics.com and click the Recruit Yourself link. Extra Innings is also brought to you by the Michigan High School Athletic Association. The MHSAA is in need of officials, so go to mhsaa.com. Great part-time pay, a way to stay connected to the game, support the kids and give back. And did I mention you can get paid for this? Help Wanted is just a whistle away. Go to mhsaa.com slash officials. Pros at the Detroit Medical Center's Physical Therapy and Sports Medicine want you to check out our Game Changer segments with helpful injury prevention and recovery tips. Find them on our State Champs YouTube page or on the website statechampsnetwork.com or on the State Champs Michigan social media channels. And for immediate access, go to care to dmc.org slash game changers. And finally, how could we forget the Detroit Athletic Club Foundation's Male and Female High School Athlete of the Year Awards? This state's elite athletes will be honored with a red carpet gala on Monday, June 14th at the incredible DAC in downtown Detroit. This year's nominees to be announced in mid-April, so be on the lookout for that. For information, head over to DACAthleteoftheyear.com. And Rob, every week we're going to mention the MHSBCA, which is the Michigan High School Baseball Coaches Association. The MHSBCA works tirelessly to promote the game of baseball by creating opportunities for coaches to connect and stay informed through clinics, social media, and incredible events like the annual high school all-star game and Hall of Fame inductions. For more information and to stay connected, check out their website at www.mhsbca.org. That's www.mhsbca.org. And like I said at the top of the show, Rob, we have a unique schedule today. In just a few minutes here, we're going to be joined by three of the finest coaches in Michigan baseball, but before we get into that roundtable, let's find out some of, of what happened around the state of Michigan and some of our featured games this week in and around Michigan high school baseball. But let's start over at Comerica Park. Notre Dame prep rolled to a 7-1 win over Allen Park. Michael Keolian had a two-run single to highlight the Irish's five-run fifth inning. Five runs was enough to propel NDP and put the game out of reach. Rob, what did you have down at the corner of Michigan and Trumbull? Uh, down the road at the corner of Michigan and Trumbull, the Cowboys of Detroit Western International shut out North Farmington 8 nothing yesterday. The bulk of the damage came in the Western fourth inning when RBIs by Sebastian James, Eric Vargas, and Abel Gutierrez played at four. Wanda Rodriguez was credited with the win for Western, who improves to 5-1 and one on the season. You can actually watch their games, by the way, Coach. Uh, Western's on their Facebook page. They go live during their games. I, t- I tuned into their doubleheader earlier in the week, so definitely check that out if you guys are a fan of that uh, program. Simple and great idea to get your uh, message out there for sure. Yep. In Gross Point, Orchard Lake St. Mary's faced their toughest te- test yet this season, but still came out on top in a battle against Liggett 12-6. to Jason Oliver notched the win for the Eaglets, going four-plus solid innings, while Ike Irish went two for three with a homer and three RBI. Alex Mooney had three hits, scored three runs, and stole three bases for OLSM, who is now 8-0 on the season. 
My goodness. And of course, it would, I would be remiss not to mention my hometown, Madison Knights Lanphier Rams, who took their home opener 7-5 to five over Lance Cruz on Friday on a strong performance on the mound from junior Aiden McGinnis, who gave up just a run in four innings of work. Big Drew Webster put up Lanphier 6-2 in the sixth with a three-run homer, and Jake Malik sealed it two batters, later smashing a massive solo shot. Noah Hurst added two hits and an RBI for the Rams. And in Livonia, Franklin opened with a pair of wins in KLAA action, 11-1 and 13-1, not even close. Kevin Davis <laughs> earned the dub in the game one, striking out 10, while Trevor Wisman went two for four, and Caden Fournier was two for four with four RBI. In game two, Alex Hardacre tossed three innings for the win, as Connor Hatfield and TJ Kalea had a pair of hits for the Patriots, who are now 2-0 on the season. Great stuff, man. I mean, you know, once again, guys, if you're listening to the show and you want your scores read out by us, make sure to send that information to us. Please, please, please. We need it. We want to talk about you and the great programs. The only way for us to do it, though, is if we know what's going on in your teams and in your programs. So we got to know about it. But now is as good a time as any to get to the meat of the show and to introduce our coaching panel for tonight. Let's start with the man who is at the helm for his 15th season at the coach of Livonia Franklin. The 1993 Franklin grad went on to play at Wayne State and is also being also listed as being a 2019 MHBCA All-Star Game head coach as a career highlight. He also has coached his son, Cal, who is at Madonna University and currently coaches his son, Caden, who we mentioned in the highlights. Please welcome Matt Fournier. Woo. Woo. Clap it up, <laughs> clap it up, clap it up. <laughs> Thanks next up, you guys. Hey, no problem, Matt. Thanks for joining us. And next up is a leading voice on the MHS BCA board. This coach and Eastern Michigan baseball alum has amassed over 400 career wins while coaching at both Clintondale High School and Richmond High School. He spent 15 years with the Dragons, but became the head coach of the Blue Devils in 2012. He has 13 league championships, six district titles, two regional championships, and was state runner-up twice. Pretty impressive for a 24-year career in high school baseball, please welcome Mr. Scott Evans to the Extra Innings Podcast. Woohoo! Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And we would be remiss to finally welcome a living legend in Michigan high school baseball. This coach has 829 career wins. No, I didn't stutter. Eight Final Four appearances, which is the most of any public school in Division One. Two state championships and a Hall of Fame honor as well. Please welcome the coach of Gross Point South in his 38th year. That's right, 38th year, Mr. Dan Griesbaum. Dan, welcome to the show. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you very much. (laughs) Hey, uh, before we get started, uh, Rob, Scott, Matt, let's just take take a minute and see if we can add up our career victories and see if we can reach Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Not not even close. All that that means is I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Scott's half. Scott's almost halfway there now, right? Scott's got 400, right? So, I mean. Wooly, you know, Matt, I mean, it's time to step it up a little bit here, guys, clearly. (laughs) You are correct. (laughs) But all right, guys, let's just jump right in here. First off, thank you for taking the time to help promote high school baseball in the state of Michigan. Thank you so much for all you do for the players in your program and around the state. Um, I want to take the opportunity just to ask you guys some questions and get your take on a variety of topics in and around the game of baseball. Matt, let's just jump right in here. We were talking before the show uh, you guys were dealing with some COVID issues, and I think that's a perfect way to start this panel off. Talk to me about how has COVID changed the way you have prepped to prepare for this season from a managing perspective, from a player management? Um, what What is your approach? Is there some guidelines that maybe a, more coaches should be following? 
Uh, well, to be honest with you, it's it, it's been something that has, uh, you know, with the overlapping of the seasons, you know, at the very, very end with winter stuff, uh, mm-hmm. uh, getting going here. We had some kids that continued on with wrestling that end up having a, a few little issues there that were coming back out um, with baseball. So uh, it's really changed a lot of the things of how we've gone about doing things. Um, mm-hmm. With us, we have a JV program. We have a varsity program. We do not have a freshman program. So um, we've taken our practices and we've actually staggered them as mm-hmm. best as we can to keep the teams apart as much as possible so that uh, if one gets shut down or if uh, a couple of players are out, it doesn't necessarily going to affect both programs at the same time. Um, we did take a few extra kids um, during tryouts just to make sure that we had those guys to be able to get through it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure just like every other team we've had, uh, we've had to deal with um, some with, with that were close contacts within school that are out that aren't necessarily sick um and you're just waiting for them for, to get back so uh we've had to deal with it quite a bit and mm-hmm. um you know we were able to play our first two games on wednesday and then mm-hmm. uh late friday we, we got word that our double header on saturday <laughs> yesterday saturday uh we had to cancel that because the team that we were playing was short some players and okay. so it was canceled right for sure scott you know i'm gonna shift it to you here you know same question you know what have you had to do to maybe modify your message to the team or, or what you guys do um, from a preparation standpoint, especially so early on in the season, right? You're still kind of getting warm. Everyone's kind of getting back in the swing of things. Uh, what are you guys doing? If anything, are you changing your way you prep for the season for the long haul? Well, we were fortunate in the fact that the weather's been great. Yes. So with the season being pushed back, we were able to get outside and we, weren't at, we didn't have to compete for gym time. Absolutely. So Ross, similar uh, rosters are bigger. Uh, we, played all, we played all six of our games so far. And we've had zero issues. We had our first positive test today uh, from testing from our athletes. But for the most part, uh, you know, it's just continue. The the big thing is organizing your practices. You have to make sure that for contact tracing, that your kids are spread out over. You got to have your dugouts bigger. You got to. And for us, it's easier for us. Small schools. Mm -hmm. We drive. We our our parents drive our kids to to games. So there's no contact tracing on buses. But I was listening to this. We played Holly this weekend, and I was listening to them. They're going to pack both teams on a bus with all their stuff to a, oh boy. To a, to a league doubleheader. And if anyone gets COVID, they're all going to be combined. Uh, so yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I lost one game because a team didn't want to come down and play us because we had one player that was contact traced. Right. So right. We, we did lose the game, but we ended mm-hmm. up picking up. But for the most part, you know, you just have to be conscientious and make sure we – social distance, make sure you have a practice plan that shows that your kids weren't within six feet of each other. Mm -hmm. And obviously have the gators when you're in the dugout during games to make sure that uh, you you follow the CDC guidelines. I mean, we've been fortunate. The weather has been a blessing for us this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And I know, uh, you know, Dan, same question to you here, and then we'll move on from the, from the COVID talk here, because I'm sure we're all tired of talking about it at this point, but um, Dan, with all of your experience, I mean, we, we listed the resume, you know, it's, it speaks for itself 38 years. This is the first time I'm sure you've ever had to go through something like this. What are you doing? Is it, has it changed your preparation at all? You know, we've heard now from both coaches, both Scott and Matt, that they're carrying a couple extra guys just in case. Um, I know you kind of carry a bigger roster as is, but did you did you increase that? Did you make some younger uniforms? What did you what did you need to do to kind of counteract some of this COVID stuff? Well, we've we've got 24 players, which um, is kind of mm-hmm. normal for us. The guys okay. who kid me, it's probably low for me. But um, <laughs> at any rate, this is a guy who's been doing it for 38 years, and I hate to cut more than I ever have. So. But at any rate, uh, COVID has really hit us. 
Mm -hmm. pretty hard. Uh, okay. We were quarantined for two weeks. We cannot get back until April 21st. Oh, geez. Uh, so we were out and uh, my kids were, five out of the six of them were sick. Wow. Uh, they tested positive and they were sick, had varying mm -hmm. symptoms from loss of taste and smell to high fevers, to coughing, to stomach issues, you name it. They had just about every um, symptom there was, but mm -hmm. Uh, they're on the mend, they're on the way back, and um, we're trying to obviously encourage them to um, get as much in as they possibly can on their own while socially distanced, while wearing masks. Mm -hmm. um, and we do have a few players who have been vaccinated. All my varsity staff has been fully vaccinated, so we can work with them. We are allowed to work with them individually. Uh, mm -hmm. But when we come back, our, our first day back is supposed to be our uh, one of our games against Sterling Heights Stevenson in the Mac Red. <laughs> yeah, so right. Great. We're throwing right into the fire there, um, and we we play three game series in the Mac, and um, we're going to have to make we will play the Thursday game that week, but we will not play the other two. We're going to have to uh, reschedule those. In fact, Joe Emanuel and I have rescheduled those for later in the week and uh, one in the oh, following week. So we're going to be ending up trying to make up some of those non-league games that we've missed, yeah. uh, especially to get some of those other kids some playing time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Coach, well, I want to ask you this because I think Dan hit on a pretty, you know, an interesting part there from a rescheduling standpoint, right? As far as getting you guys, you know, ready for league play, how important are those non-league games to kind of get you guys in kind of a rhythm? Oh, they, they were going to be extremely crucial this year because obviously we didn't play last year. Most of our kids either played freshman ball and mm -hmm. maybe JV. I had only two players who had played varsity as a sophomore in 19. Wow. Um, and I had three scrimmages scheduled over our break mm -hmm. uh, that I had to cancel. As right. you know, we, our scrimmages were canceled. So mm -hmm. um, we've only played two games and uh, we're going to jump right into the league <laughs> and Stevenson uh, when we get back. So uh, we're going to be a little bit behind, but, right. but we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. One of the things, one of the things that I noted, luckily we were able to play our first game finally on Friday. We got rained out uh, Thursday against Notre Dame Prep, but one of the things that I noted Friday was just the element of surprise because, like Dan had alluded to, you're getting to know players that you know would typically get a chance to go maybe through your uh, JV system or have a year under your belt and everything like that. And the kid who you mentioned in the highlights, Aiden McGinnis. Yep. Honestly, I've seen him throw a bullpen about two or three times, <laughs> um, you know, had good movement. And then he came out against Lance Cruz and threw an absolute gem. So it, to me, it was just more of like, it, what's COVID done for me? It's kind of surprised me with some of the level that some of these kids have had, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and to Dan's point, stepping, you know, right feet first into the fire. Um, it's going to be kind of the, the way of the year this year. You know, we've had to adapt, change on the fly, whatever it is that you want. They, they keep using this term fluid. Yeah. Everything's fluid. Right. Well, that, that may be so, but most of us are meticulous planners when it comes to our practice plans and how we're going to rotate guys in for games and things of that nature. Right. And you can basically just take that, crumble it up and throw it out because like in a situation where, where Dan's got to go in and play a team at the, the level that, you know, typically Stevenson is at, that makes it very, very difficult. So to your point, non-league games are huge to get players in and out. 
for sure. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, that's something too, that, you know, even I, you know, my brief coaching experience at the baseball level and the middle school level, right. It's those early games that kind of really set the tone and, you know, you start to get a feel, you start to build that confidence or, you know, sometimes lack thereof, depending on what's going on. So um, I, I definitely think that missing out on some of these early games where you have some flexibility to mess with the rotation, mess with the lineup a little bit, see what you have before those critical league games play. So COVID definitely throwing in some, uh, some wrenches in there for sure. I want to shift focus here now from COVID, um, you know, and talk about some of our student athletes. Um, you know, I, you know, we've, we've kind of got a broad range of coaches here from all different sizes uh, of schools and districts and all that good stuff. So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit, you know, um, is it, you know, and Scott, I want to start with you, you know, you're Richmond, you're at a bit of a smaller school. So I want to start with you maybe on this one. Um, you know, is it, you know, do you have challenges as a smaller school than maybe some of the other bigger schools? You know, we talked to Orchard Lake St. Mary's head coach last week. Um, obviously they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit bigger. <laughs> I'm going to put that in quotes. Apples and oranges. Yeah. Right. No kidding. Right. So what, what are the, you know, what are some of the challenges that maybe that some of the broader public doesn't know about, obviously outside of just lack of kids, you know, what is the one of maybe some of the harder challenges dealing with, you know, uh, a smaller school like yourself? Well, our, our issues are we, we don't have, we barely have 25 guys trying out in our program. Right. Dan's got 40 kids. Like, like uh, the big deal is when you're in a small school, everybody, there's only 200 boys in our school right. for all the sports that are going on. And mm-hmm. if you don't, if we don't support each other with uh, doing multi-sports programs, don't succeed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very difficult in division three or as a small, as our, we keep getting smaller and smaller. Right. To, like, we have a freshman team this year, but it's very, it's barely beating in the minimum to have a freshman team. Right. So you've missed those 20 or 30 games to gain mm-hmm. some experience, every level coming to you. So it's very difficult. And uh, I wouldn't say that uh, luckily I'm in a, Richmond's a great baseball town with a great middle, little league tradition where lots yeah. of people are there, but even now we're struggling to get enough kids to try out for teams. Like we didn't come yeah. this year. I mean, mm-hmm. we moved some kids around so we could make some full rosters. Right. Uh, but what, what, that's clearly the biggest thing is COVID really not having a year to develop with your kids and grow your program and create those relationships with those, start those relationships with those kids. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to sustain your program without mm-hmm. being, and that's our biggest complaint. We wanted to be with our kids to, to grow our program. So yeah. we learn to grow those relationships. Absolutely. I think you, I think you nailed it right on the head. Uh, you know, Matt, I want to, I want to switch back to you here because, you know, Scott's saying that he's, he has a freshman program. You guys decided to go against it. I know uh, coach Wooley, I believe you guys also don't have a freshman program as well, right? No, no, that was gone. I think even when I was in high school, so um, you guys both abolished it, but Matt, talk to me, you know, about, you know, whether, you know, did you guys even think about doing a freshman program? Do you guys have enough kids for a freshman program? Um, I mean, what, what is, what are your thoughts on, on getting that maybe an extra level of quote unquote high school baseball experience, uh, even though it's at the freshman level and, you know, you're just going to yank people up to JV <laughs> quickly. Well, anyway. <laughs> well, well, here over in, in Livonia public schools. So we have all three of us, we have Franklin Stevenson and Churchill and, and mm-hmm. none of us have a freshman level. So that okay. is what we have done for forever, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, and you know, it, it, it's kind of been six, one half dozen, the other sometimes based on the numbers that kind of come out. Right. Um, we would have enough to be able to run it. What mm-hmm. we don't have is the extra facility. So okay. we have the one field and I don't know how that would necessarily work out because if they're playing a game, where do we practice that type of stuff? Right. Um, and in terms of, you know, it's allowed our JV team to be a lot more competitive in what we've really done for us. Again, I don't know what all the other schools do, but 
for us, when we, when we make our JV team, I'll typically carry 18 to 20 kids on our JV okay. and we try to split it so that we have eight or nine freshmen, eight or nine sophomores. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always work exactly to that way, but for the most part, we keep it so that we don't necessarily, you know, destroy a class, so to speak. Right. Um, and it's right. worked out pretty well for us. That, that's awesome. Now, Dan, uh, you know, you're carrying, you know, a little bit bigger population, uh, you know, where you're at. Uh, do you guys have a freshman program, number one? And number two, um, you know, is it, is it, you know, are there some challenges maybe with the bigger schools that maybe we're not, you know, it's, it's always easy to be like, well, you have the, you know, such a plethora of kids. But with that, I'm sure there are other challenges as well. You just said, you, you know, you hate cutting more now than ever. You know, is it one of those things where you just making extra jerseys every week, every year to year now? Or, or what's going on? I, you know, I have, I have done that. I have bought <laughs> extra jerseys. Yeah. Um, we do have a freshman team. We've had one for as long as I can remember. Um, and this year we probably with all three levels had about 90 kids total mm-hmm. try out, uh, mm-hmm. some eliminated themselves before tryout actually occurred, but, uh, we still did have to cut at all three levels. Okay. Um, Crazy. and now in the Mac, um, Adam will tell you, we're the freshman ball is not called freshman baseball anymore. It's called JVB. Oh, okay. Which means which means you can have sophomores on your freshman roster. Okay. So schools wanted to do that so they could field another team mm-hmm. and move players back and forth, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and I think it was a good idea. Um, and this year is probably the first time we do have a couple of sophomores on our freshman team. Okay. Yeah. Um, but. Generally speaking, we, we've always had separate freshman JV and varsity. Okay. Wooly, talk to me a little bit about, because, you, you know, once again, we're kind of split half and half here. Some have freshmen. And, I, and this fascinates me a little bit for a couple of reasons, because, um, you know, having that freshman team available to you, you know, you get a better look at them. They're in the program, right? You're starting to build that culture from freshman on. Uh, maybe the kids who maybe aren't ready for that JV level yet can still maybe play some organized ball. Um, talk to me about, you know, um, you know, what are the challenges that you've experienced just having that freshman team eliminated within the past, you know, 10, 15 years? Cause it, it was a thing at one point. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed having a freshman team around only from a development standpoint. You know, yeah. I feel like right now, um, oftentimes uh, Scott again made a great point and mm-hmm. his situation is very similar to mine that we have to share so many players with whether it's the wrestling team, the hockey team, basketball team, whatever the case may be, all of our players were drawing from the same place. Right. So, you know, the freshman allowed us to to see a player develop at a place where maybe he could get confidence and then move on to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it's just simply become something more of like attrition where, you know, certain kids may not come out. So you don't find that kid. Right. Um, that, and that's been a challenge for me. But I wanted to do is kind of take the, this off of me, because one of the issues that I'm having with this season is I do have some players who are college ready. Now I wanted to throw it out there to Dan, Matt, and um, Scotty, just yeah. to see what it's been like for them. Because I got to tell you, one of the, the points of emphasis from coaching this uh, in my entire career has been, how can I move players on to the next level? And with COVID rearing its ugly head and all the, you know, the extra years of eligibility and stuff like that, what, what situations have you guys run into um, from a recruiting standpoint? Scott, I, let, let's start with you. Yeah, like I, I'm in touch with a lot of guys. Uh, we don't have a lot of Division One guys, but we got guys that go to D3 and D and a lot of community colleges, and mm-hmm. they're backed up. They're 40 man rosters, and they're there's guys that came in as freshmen this year 
that have three and four year players playing in front of them. They're not getting time on the mound. They're not getting time in the game and they're going to be sacrificed if those programs aren't. And then the, the downfall is they're not coming and recruiting other kids because right. they're all already maxed up. Right. And so like, unless you have an, a truly elite division one kid, the, that, that, that is, that is the a guy, which the vast majority of us don't. Uh, they are, they're lost. They're still turning and burning. Usually your junior year, if you had a left-handed pitcher that threw 88 miles an hour, he'd already be signed and committed anywhere. And that is not even close to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And as I talked to the college guys, uh, I asked them honest feedback and some of them gave it to me. He says, we're really stuck because we got to find out what our, if our juniors are coming back and if our seniors are coming back, because that's where our scholarships are. Once we have a meeting with them at the end of the year, then we know where our money's at. He says, I know it puts all the kids in a bind, but our money is tied up within our college programs. And that's just where we're at. And unless you have a kid that's throwing 92, 94, you know, you know, they're all considered bubble kids. Yep. Sad. Yeah. It's a trickle down effect for sure. Uh, you know, Dan, go go ahead. No, well, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, and you know, and you make a great point though, right? Is that there is a log jam, right? Where you just don't know where some of these kids are going going into it. Matt, talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing uh, from a program perspective. Are you reaching out to coaches? Are you getting tape out there for for some of your upperclassmen? Is it is it kind of one of those things where you know you're just hoping that you know these guys are kind of found out? Or you know what what are you guys doing right now to because of the log jam that's happening? Or is it just more promotion than ever than any year before because? You know, you're trying to get these guys going without missing a whole season. Correct. Yeah. So what we what we've always done again, I don't know what every other coach does, but for yeah. me, what it kind of worked out in terms of um, I always you, you, you kind of sit down with the kid and say, OK, is this something that you want to do? Is this something that you want to pursue? And, and we always ask the kid, what what are you interested in going into as to which mm-hmm. direction am I going to kind of get you to to go there? Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, you know, to, to kind of backtrack just a little bit, obviously last year, the, the 2020 kids, they got kind of squashed a little bit, you know, so right. typically if you had two or three or four that could go, maybe only one or two went. Right. Um, and to be honest with you, everybody that I've talked to this year, college wise, you know, they're typically not looking at the 2021 so much. They're looking, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want to know about the 2022s mm-hmm. uh, to go back to your point with how many people that they are um, already committed to because they're not necessarily sure who's staying, who's going with the groups that are going. Right. Um, Yeah. We, we, we film, we, we send out, you know, whatever we can to whatever coaches. And again, Mm -hmm. uh, um, that's kind of how that has, has worked out. So um, for us, as many kids as I can, you know, talk to college coaches about, then then we'll definitely do that and make those, those contacts. Absolutely. Dan, talk to me a little bit about the balance, right? Between getting your guys recruited as well as, the long-term program goals, right? Because if I'm a player, I look at it and I say, okay, I, I need my coach fighting for me, right? And, and, and you, you want to feel that from your coach, right? And from the program that you're, you're dedicating yourself to. But at the same time, you as a coach have to walk that fine line between, you know, growing the program, continuing to build the culture, sustaining the culture, sustaining that season for the, you know, for that team, while also having to, to, you know, basically advertise and promote some of your upperclassmen. Talk to me about the balance that you've seen, um, maybe not just with COVID, but just in general, what, you know, how hard is it? You know, what is the balance? What have you found works for you guys um, to, to reaching your goals as a team, as well as, you know, helping the individual players reach their goals to play at the next level? Well, as Matt was saying, first of all, you want to try and determine from your kids uh, what their interests are in terms of what level do they think they could play at 
And sometimes you have to give them a little reality check and, and tell them, look, you know, those mm-hmm. might be a little bit too high in terms of your ability and so on. Uh, right. For instance, right now I've got three or four kids that want to play at the next level. And as Scott was saying, they're just so upside down right now in terms of what they're going to be doing come next fall because uh, the NCAA, uh, again, extended the recruiting uh, ban until June 1. And uh, you know, only, only thing you can do right now is send out some film. Uh, but I have talked to Rich Maloney. I've talked to Jake Boss. I've talked to some of the others. And they just have no clue what they're going to have available in terms of roster spots. That's so crazy. it's just going to be a waiting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other issue, too, is not it's not just the COVID thing in terms of the roster spots. Some of them can't increase their roster spots because of Title IX issues. Okay. Right. Okay. So if a squad had 35, and even if they had an unlimited roster, uh, could go to 40, 45, some of them can't do it because of t- Title IX issues. So um, uh, three or four of our kids at least are just up in the air right now as to what they're going to be doing next fall. It's just a waiting game. Yeah. And we hope that once the colleges find out who's coming back, who is, and who's getting drafted, mm-hmm. and which was another issue last year. They only had five rounds. So a lot of those seniors who were going to get drafted and the better juniors didn't, so they all came back, as, yeah. as Scott was alluding to. So um, it's it's just – uh, a waiting game right now. Yeah. And again, talk, for me, you know, talking to some of those other college coaches too, as well, obviously they're, they're worried about the recruiting stuff, but they're dealing with all the COVID issues just like we are. Absolutely. So you're, you're adding all that extra stuff onto the plate in terms of are, mm-hmm. are they rescheduling games? Who do they got that they have to, you know, quarantine or who is testing for this? So right. they're, they're trying to juggle all that at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're you're absolutely correct, right? It's a trickle down effect all the way through, right? You're seeing it at every level, and it's you know it's kind of one of the things where like you guys are at the bottom of that of that totem pole, right? And you guys are trying to get people into into these programs, and I think it's nice for you know some of the parents that maybe listen to the show to understand you know the challenges that you guys are going through because you are fighting for your players, you're fighting for your programs, you're trying to get you guys to the next level, and it's it's one of those things where you can only do so much, right? You can only call, you can only say, hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? So it's 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 nice. To to kind of get your guys aspect of it. Um, I want to shift gears here a little bit. You know, I want to pick up back on something that Scott, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned, you know, Richmond being such a baseball kind of place um, with all the, the little leagues and everything else like that. I have noticed over in my time is the growth of, or the massive growth in my opinion of the travel slash club baseball scene. It seems like everybody now is on a club team. They're on a travel team, whether it's the hit dogs or this guy or these people, whatever you name you want to throw out there. Right. It seems like everybody is on a squad now. Um, and I want to start with you, Scott, because you mentioned the little league stuff. Is it good for the sport to have such a large abundance of club teams available? When I was growing up, I'm 26 for, for all intents and purposes. So for reference, right. And when I was growing up, there was not that many, when you saw a kid, he was on a travel team. That was a big deal. That meant his parents put in the money. This kid was putting in the work and he was probably a better player. Now, every kid that I talk to is doing travel baseball, if they play baseball at all. So is it good for the sport to have this many travel teams available to you? It's interesting you say this because we're seeing a trend up here in the thumb area in our local small little leagues that the leagues mm-hmm. are getting smaller and smaller because Correct. kids are leaving little league and heading in to do these fed teams. Yep. Uh, 
Some want more challenging, feel they want more challenging things. Mm-hmm. Some dads want more control. I mean, it, I, there's a, there's a lot. I'm just starting to look and investigate and talk to the other coaches. Right. But like uh, it is, I think it's having a, a, an effect on our, the number of kids playing baseball in high school in small rural America, okay. because the, uh, the, 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 the haves and haves nots are getting really big. And then kids just push the, push it away. I'm not that committed to it at 12 years old. I'm mm-hmm. really not that into it, but Billy and Terry and Jimmy are, oh, yeah. so they're going to play. And then there's this big gap. So I think we're seeing mm-hmm. a lasting effect, a, a changing mm-hmm. effect. Right. I, I'm not sure where it stops or how it stops. Uh, I know that we've seen a ton of kids leave, uh, leave uh, all of our Ira, St. Clair, uh, Richmond. A lot of kids have left and went fed. Um, yeah. Because sometimes yeah, I, I don't have a great answer for you on this. I wish, <laughs> I, I, wish I could. I yeah. just think that there are a lot of people that think their kids play uh, deserve to play shortstop. And yes. not everybody's a shortstop. I am so glad that you just said that for, for a lot of reasons. And when you're honest with them and you get yep. feedback as a person that's coached for a long time, mm-hmm. they don't agree with you. So they're just, okay, forget it. I'm just going to go start a team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I said, all my years, I, mind you, I'm a little league <laughs> disciple. I, yeah. I played little league. Yeah. I never played an inning of fed ball. I played division one baseball. It was a process back in the eighties yeah. to go through that, but I'm not, but like, Nowadays, you know, the your elite kids are trying to play on bigger, more organized teams. I'm not sure if it's a bad, good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad that you brought it up though because it, it's that that phrase, right? So Every you know, their kid wants to be a shortstop when they're not really a shortstop, right? And so I'm I'm so glad you said it like that. And Wooly, I want to shift to you now here, um, you know, to kind of piggyback off what Scott just said. Does it does it make it harder? Make it your job harder as a high school baseball varsity coach, Wooly? Does it make it harder when it comes to building a culture when you have to manage player and parent expectations as well as looking at what's best for your team? You know, I I can only imagine the amount that all of you guys have had from a conversation where a parent comes up to you and goes, my son plays shortstop. And you go, well, that's great. Well, he's playing left field for me. (laughs) You know what I mean? And having that conversation. Um, Wooly, talk to me about the challenges that you guys have, that you've had um, managing player and parent expectations because the parent feeds the player a lot of times, right? Knowing that they play these fed balls and they have a spot, they know what they think they should be playing, even though in your opinion, it may not be realistic or it may not be for the betterment of the team. When you look at high school baseball, it's a completely different animal, um, especially from travel ball, regardless of whether it's mm-hmm. elite travel ball or just somebody who's, you know, decided to form a team. And um, mm-hmm. to answer the question directly, does it make our, our jobs more difficult? Absolutely, it does. I think okay. I, I think we would probably go four for four with everybody <laughs> answering honestly if, if we were to, you know, to really dive into it. Yeah. But I think there are some things that coaches can do, especially high school coaches that, that can stay ahead of the curve a little bit and make that less of an issue. And that is, you know, early on, before the season even begins, it's important to have a preseason meeting and to really discuss with your parents, you know, at length, your coaching philosophy. And when I say that, I I don't, you got to live that coaching philosophy. You can't just find a quote or something like that. You got to really explore what your core values are and the reasons, you know, I, I love that. Start with why, why are you doing this? And I think oftentimes when you're able to communicate that to a parent, more often than not, that's going to help you. However, you are going to run into parents, and, and this has happened year in and year out. It's going to continue to, I, I'm anticipating it happening this week, to be honest with you. There's <laughs> going on, but I, 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 there, there's just things that are going to happen. And, and we, we brought it up. I mean, this kid may go onto a Fed team and he's the number one catcher on that Fed team. 
And that whole Fed team is loaded with a kid who plays second base, a kid who plays shortstop, three or four pitchers. Now all of a sudden you're asking this other player to play a multitude of uh, different positions and to play different roles for your team. Right. And it just has to be an expectation at the high school level from coach to player and that they truly understand it because there really isn't anything we can do when they jump in the car with their mom and dad or whoever it is that's taking them home and they start discussing what went on during the game or their feedback. If, if I could give them all the books and the podcasts and the conversations <laughs> that we've had, I don't think it would be an issue. Right. But, but what happens is, you know, that, that parent in most of the times it's, it's done with good intent, of course, it's looking out for their kid, mm-hmm. but you got to really take a step back. And this is coming parent to parent. And I try to allude to that, that I have yeah. four kids of my own and all four of my kids are different. So for me to paint with a broad brush and say that, you know, this, this should happen just because this happened, it's too difficult, but yeah, it, it, it's, an, it's really difficult when that, when your culture can be undone in one car ride home it can right. really, it can be a really difficult task. It's just something that you need to reinforce and you have to live as a coach. Mm-hmm. Is there one thing, Wooly, before we kind of shift focus just a little bit here uh, as we go to kind of roster building, is there one thing because you are a parent um, that you would, that maybe a message that you want to send out to the parents, just kind of like as like a, a tip or a reminder to go, Hey, like, cause you've been in those shoes as the parent, as well as the coach, just to say, before you make that call or that text to the coach to say, why is my kid not doing X or why can't my kid do this or blah, blah, whatever the, the text is to, to send to that parent, whether it's just say, Hey, maybe simmer and wait 24 hours before you send that call or that text. Is there one thing that you want to tell the parents out there who may be listening to the show before they reach out to their coach respectively? And I, I, I could see a couple of heads shaking too. So I don't want yeah. to steal a ton of thunder here. So if you, if you guys want to take it away, go for it. You hit on it briefly and I, and then I'll turn it over, but yeah. Um, yeah. Take your time. Do not give me a response post game because emotions are high mm-hmm. and it's really, really difficult. If you approach me post game and we start talking about your player and what I did with him and strategy and things of that nature. So <laughs> 24 hour rule for me yeah. to start is, like a number one, but I'll turn it over to the guys and let them expand on that a little bit more too. But, you know, I think Adam hit it on the head too, is that at the beginning of the year, you've got to have that parent meeting. You've got to have that, uh, that set up so that mm-hmm. um, the, the parents and the kids know the expectations of how things are going to go. Mm-hmm. Again, now at, at, at 17, 18 years old, you're thinking that the varsity wise, you're trying to get those kids to understand that those conversations, if they have issues with, you know, playing time or this, that, or the other thing, that they have those conversations that the kid has this conversation with the kid or with Absolutely. the, with the coach, Absolutely. as opposed to uh, the parent coming to it right away. Now, everybody's had to deal with certain things here and there with, with stuff, but you know, knock on wood, we've had, we've been pretty, because we hold that meeting and we can, we kind of tell them what those expectations are up front. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it typically doesn't go too much further than that. Um, the, the one thing you do got to put across to them though, is, is some of these kids as they come in, especially for at the JV level, or the freshman level for some of these other ones is they are coming from some of those travel teams where there's only 11 or 12 or 13 guys on that team. And now they're trying, you're trying to fit them into a team that has maybe again, for us, JV wise, we've carried as many as 20, 21 kids. So the playing time does come into an issue time to time, but Mm -hmm. um, the more that you continue to, to, to have those open conversations um, early on, it kind of negates those things a little bit later on. So that the parents understand exactly where you're coming from. Absolutely. Uh, Scott or Dan, do you guys have anything that you guys want to get out to the parents as like a statement? Yeah, just at, as kind of what was previously said, we have a 
parent meeting ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Expectations are laid down. This is what you can talk to me about. This is what you can't talk to me about, <laughs> uh, generally speaking. Um, we encourage, as, as Matt was saying, I encourage our players, if you have any issues with playing time, let's sit down man-to-man -to, -man to do it. If a parent calls me, I say, I will not talk to you about playing time unless the player is present. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what happens is the player is not right. dissatisfied so right. much. It's the parent that's dissatisfied and the meeting mm -hmm. never ends up happening. Mm -hmm. But I do encourage our players to, to come and talk to us whenever possible. I respect that a lot more. I tell And I tell the parents the same thing. Uh, I don't like... Uh, friends of mine or my wife here and stuff in the fan in the stands. Absolutely. I want you to come to me man to man and we'll, we'll talk about it, but it really irritates me when I hear it behind my back. Yeah, I absolutely. A, Go ahead, Scott. I had a son that played basketball, football, and baseball. He's playing at Saginaw Valley. Inevitably he had problems in every practice playing varsity <laughs> basketball, varsity football. I'm a varsity coach. My suggestion to every parent is, tell your son to go talk to the coach. I am not speaking to the coach mm -hmm. until you've spoken to the coach. Right. And every time, not once have I ever had to call a coach because I genuinely think that every coach has the best interest of the team and the school in mind. Mm -hmm. And that maybe you might've misheard something different. Maybe you just need to have some good constructive criticism and you need to grow as a person. We need to allow these kids to learn some life lessons and handle their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. If you don't get, if your son goes and talks to him and don't like the answer, then it might be time for a meeting, but you need to encourage that coach player development and go talk to your coach one-on-one -on -one in the right setting. And everything would go much better for athletes. No we coach. Also, for a parent. We also have Adam a 24 hour rule. It's basically an athletic department policy. Yeah. And don't talk to us right away. If you're irritated, cool off 24 hours, and then we'll, we'll be willing to talk. And that's a good thing for the coaches as well. Obviously, Absolutely. we might be upset about a loss or something that happened or this, that, the other thing. So, and we don't want to, you know, come across negative in that regard. It gives us time to collect what we need to say as well. So um, again, it, it, the kid has to have the, you know, we've had that conversation with the kid already before mm -hmm. it even gets going to that point. Mm -hmm. And the other part is, you know, this year's a little different than anything else. And I told every kid they can normally do like, Hey, when your time comes, be ready. It might be sooner than later because you've got a kid <laughs> yeah, that's no out kidding. one way or the other. Um, and, and we've had that already where we've had, Hey, listen, you might've been the, the third kid at that spot, but you're playing. All right. So oh, you yeah. got to be ready to go in that regard. Um, so it, as long as you have those conversations and you kind of tell the kid up front where you think their role is beforehand, typically it doesn't get to that point. All right. I'm, I'm going to steal a script here for a second, Rob. I just yeah, want to jump coach. in because I'm genuinely curious about something. You yeah. know, the three, the four of us are actually on the MHSBCA council. So we're on this big, long coaching thread where we kind of rip on each other and have a good time with one another. Every, <laughs> and one of our, our main targets is the legend over there, Dan Griesbaum, right? We're, we're always giving him crap about like the, the size of his rosters because he does have like a college-like roster. There's no joke <laughs> in, in both talent and in numbers. So, yeah. Dan, I am genuinely curious because the more and more that I get, you know, in this uh, up in age and in, in I'm in my 21st year, I have found cuts to be 
difficult as well. Just to be flat out honest with you, I don't take any love doing it. I hate it. It's actually probably the worst part of my job. Okay. But with that being said, when you carry a roster of that size, 24 guys, how do you manage that? What is, I mean, aside from you, we've brought up some really good points so far. How do you manage something like that? Well, sometimes those large squads really work. They really work well. Uh, we won the state in 2018. I had 26 players. Wow. They all had a role. They all accepted their role. They all contributed. Uh, I had a bullpen catcher. Had, you know, <laughs> that's all he did. Um, and awesome. we have triple header tournaments, however, and all of those kids would get a start in a triple header tournament. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, in the non-league games, and we don't try to win all those non-league games, quote unquote, by playing your best nine or 10 or whatever all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why our records uh, are not all that great. Um, we, one year, were runner up and we were uh, 23 and 18. Mm-hmm. Um, we were elite eight and 19 and we were 19 and 23. Okay. Uh, so we play a lot, a lot of very good teams number one. And number two, we give a lot of kids playing time in those non-league games, but they know every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and in the playoff games, the best nine are going to start. And and they always do. Um, yeah. But it is difficult. And I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes it works better than others, <laughs> but, um, but we've been successful with it. And um, as long as the kids are told ahead of time what their role is, albeit knowing roles can change, because one thing we tell the kids too is roster at the or the uh, starting line at the end of the year is not always what it was at the beginning of the year. Right. In fact, right. it rarely is. It rarely is. Mm-hmm. So there's there's going to be a chance to prove yourself. And we tell our parents, getting back to that, um, in these non-league games and scrimmages before the league starts, everybody's going to get an opportunity to show off their they belong in the top nine. It's going to be more more difficult this year because we didn't have those games. uh, (laughs) We'll see how this works this time. Dan, when you have, when you have the, when you're uh, discussing roles with your players and their limited roles, is there, do do many kids walk away or they just want, they just want to have the uniform. They want to be part of the program. Basically very, very few walk away. Very, very few. Uh, They want to just be a part and I remember talking to uh, Timmy Held at Cincinnati Moeller, carry very large squads, um, and Mike Cameron before him. And he says, hey, you know, we have kids that will do anything. They'll just, they just want a uniform. They want a uniform. They'll go catch pens. They'll do the scorebook. They'll do whatever just to want, because they want to be a part of the program. And, and the cool part about some of that is, though, without cutting you off there, coaches, sometimes those are – yeah, you hate to say, but when it's when it comes down to it, some of those kids end up being like your your favorite type of kids. Oh, absolutely, um, and, absolutely and, it's, right. and that is so awesome to have when you got a kid that maybe understands what his role is, but doesn't necessarily you know not play a whole lot. But yeah. the conversations that you have with that kid sometimes those last those memories last longer than maybe the kid that started every game for you at second base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember so many kids. I could name so many off that were the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth player on the team. Right. A kid I kept just because he was a great kid. Um, you know, those are, are some of your, your, your 
best advertisements too for your program because mm-hmm. those kids and those parents really appreciate just being a part of the team. Yeah. And I'd also tell you, all 26 kids a few years ago got rings. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Not wrong with that. <laughs> nobody was a starter or, or a, a yep. role player then. They all got their rings. That's, that's true. That's pretty cool. That's that's awesome. All right, guys, I want to shift focus here just a little bit as we kind of wrap it up. Um, I want to, you know, to get, you know, a little bit more personal with you guys here. Uh, the last couple questions. The first one I want to ask um, just from each one of you, I want to just a quick answer here um, is, you know, who is your mentor or who have you learned the most from mm-hmm. since you started your coaching career? I want all four of you guys to answer this because I, you guys, it's all a little bit different generation wise, obviously. Um, and so for me, you know, I've even, you know, speaking for myself, I've even seen coach Wooley himself coach. And I, and there are things that I have taken into my own coaching style where I go, okay, that's something I can apply in future. So we'll just start off here. We'll start off with Scott. Yeah, right. No kidding. (laughs) We'll start with Scott. Just give me who is your mentor, whether it was as a player or maybe when you're an assistant coach coming up through the ranks, give me your mentor and just a brief explanation as to why. Well, I was very fortunate growing up is that I've been, I came through at just the right time. So like Lenny Perkins, Jim Bushami, Pete Martin, Wayne Eldred, like those are all hall of fame guys that I got a chance to play for that yeah. taught me the love of the game. Like Lenny Perkins is one of the ni- greatest human beings in my life and gave me a chance to continue playing my career. But not only that, he taught me the love of the game. And right. He taught me, and Jim Bashami is probably the winningest guy that's ever coached. And he coached me at Macomb. So those guys are the foundation people that, that really I teach the same thing that they taught me. I mean, I love them to death. You know, it's a, you know, coaching, you, you t- take bits and pieces of everybody when you try to become a great coach. You try to listen and copy and do the things that they are successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys right there, like hands down, like for my, for baseball, those are my guys, you know, and my dad, yeah. obviously my dad coached little league for 35 years and gave me the of love of the game. Um, but you know, as far as learning the game and how to teach the game, yeah, it was, it was those hall of famers for sure. Fantastic. Matt, how about you? Is there a guy or a group of guys that, you know, you oh, learn from? the list is, the list goes forever, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up, I grew up in Mount Pleasant. Um, and I grew up at, and I played uh, union township, uh, baseball up there in little league up there. And a uh, matter of fact, I just read an article today that the, the guy that I played for who ran the little league up there for the past 37 years, I believe up there just stepped down. His name was uh, Jim McLean. Um, so he just stepped down from the, and run, I don't know how many different tournaments and stuff up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to high school and, uh, I played for Jim Krub. Um, but one of my mentors in high school was actually my cross country coach, um, okay. for a guy by the name of Bob Holmes. And he was the one that kind of got me into going, you know, Hey, going to teaching and, and, and do it that way. Um, I was fortunate enough to play at Wayne state. So, uh, the late Rod George was, uh, was my head coach while I was down there. And so I learned a lot of things from him. Matter of fact, my senior year was, uh, uh, kind of cut short because of injury and he kind of just, I, I was able to shadow him for a little bit of time. So that's awesome. So that was kind of a neat way. And then obviously um, just like everybody else probably going to say in here that, you know, their father. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I was luck, lucky enough that I, I was my, my dad and then my, my stepdad, um, my, my father just passed away this past November, not because of uh, COVID related stuff, but, uh, um, but he was, he was the one that kind of got me into, you know, the love of the game and collecting baseball cards and, and go awesome. to the Tiger games and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so many different people. And to be honest with you, it, I know it's already been mentioned, but we're on yeah. the, the MHSBCA staff and, and um, we are, there's so many different coaches within our league, you know, that yeah. you can pick and, and get things from and you, and you look at them and say, you know what, I love how they do that. 
I love that, you know, the way that they work with the kids that way. So there's a lot of them, but those are four of the main ones. Awesome. Dan, how about you? I mean, you've been in this so long. I mean, you're probably an idol to some people right now that are listening to this. So, uh, you know, who are your, who's your mentors? Well, for me, I, I, I guess three people come to mind uh, right away. Mm-hmm. First of all, when I was 15, 16 years old, a gentleman by the name of Tom Engel, who uh, uh, took a house team from St. Clair Shores into the big big boy league in Detroit. <laughs> and in our second year, we won the national championship. Wow. Um, of the NABF. Tom was a great uh, coach and, and mentor. Um, then I would have to say um, my college coach, uh, Matt, I never knew you were a Mount Pleasant guy. Yep. Um, but Dave Kylitz uh, at Central Michigan, um, just a great human being, a great coach, a great athletic director, a great president of the American Baseball Coaches Association. I still keep in touch with him. Um, just a, a, a great influence in terms of my life and my career. And also um, my brother-in-law who uh, passed away in 2001, uh, Gary Vito, who was one of Mike Illich's uh, right-hand men and coached the Caesars softball uh, champions and, and also uh, was an assistant GM with the Tigers for, for a while. Um and I've known him obviously since I know my wife since I was 16 years old, wow. and um, he was a very very big influence. He had more baseball knowledge in his little finger than um, <laughs> most people have in their entire bodies. And uh, he was successful in just about everything he did. He was the general manager of the Detroit Drive, uh, won championships there, mm-hmm. as well as Caesar softball and so on. And and um, crazy thing is is um he did get to see our first state championship uh in 2001 before he passed away from cancer that's in, awesome in december yeah that's that's amazing coach Wooly, how about you yeah i i mean i echo everything on here that everybody was talking about my dad was my first coach and the probably you know the number one influence on why i love sports the way i do yeah the thing with him was his blunt nature you know he would tell me <laughs> Oftentimes when I was playing basketball, this might not be your game. So you better figure something out, you know, and I can, <laughs> I can use, uh, I can use those lessons and kind of help out the kids whenever we talk about that. But um, all joking aside, uh, I played for an, a great baseball coach here at well, as well, Frank Persichino, um at Lanphier High School had a huge influence on me, especially from a communication standpoint. And then at Oakland U, um, Steve Lyon showed me that even if you were the head coach or, you know, one of the top guys, at a college program, he didn't have to be an authoritarian. He was a really good guy. And then moving my way as I progressed up through the high school ranks, um, a, a man named John Haas, who happens to be the same age as I am, uh, was a coach, a basketball coach who had a huge influence on me, just the way he communicated with players and the way that he carried himself and presented himself and all and, and everything else that from meticulous planning right on down the line to details. But to uh, work off of some of the great points that these guys have all talked about. Baseball guys are unique because even if they're doing it right, they'll still share it with you. And that goes for high school baseball coaches are always at clinics, sharing information, talking to each other, helping each other out. Mm -hmm. And you would be shocked. But I think every single one of us could get on the phone. And even if we haven't sent them a, a player in, well, I haven't even sent them a player, but like Eric Backich over in Michigan, Jake Boss at Michigan State, Ryan Kelly, just mm-hmm. the name, Jordan Banfield uh, at OU. These guys are all so forthcoming 
that they're like, I, I think it was Matt who said, Hey, I, I pick and shoot, you know, some of the things that these guys have done in my own little uh, text group. So I think one of the big keys is making sure that as a coach, you know, that baseball people are open and willing to help. And then the other thing is, is that you got to keep progressing. I, I always say the minute I, that's why I look at Dan and I, I've known Dan for years now running his, uh, with his showcase in the summertime, it, he continues to get better and better what he's doing, which is, it's crazy. I mean, we talk about doing it after 38 years. If you, the moment you stop progressing is the moment you got to get away because at the heart of it all is doing this for the kids. That's it. And I don't ever want to be that guy that's like, just listen to me because I've done it this way for so many years. Right. I want to be able to continue to learn and continue to bring new and cool and inventive things from people that I learn from too. Awesome. All right, guys, last question. It's the question that I like to use to kind of end all of our interviews with. So I'm going to ask it to each one of you. Uh, you know, Scott, we'll just start back with you. We're going to go in the same order as we just did before we sign off here. And that is, you know, everything we talked about today has been great, but what is the number one thing you want people to leave this show with knowing about your school and program? I, I, I like to end on this for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, it's kind of puts a, you know, a final, you know, nice note uh, on the show, but also because I think it's important for people at the end of this, right. To know that you guys are all about the kids and you're all about your programs and you want, you know, your, your teams to succeed, not just on the field, but in life. So uh, Scott, we'll start with you. What's the number one thing you want people to know about your school and program? Listen, the number one thing you know about our school is that uh, it is a great small town that everyone is invested in the success, no matter if it's the robotics team, the cheerleading team, yep. the wrestling team, the football team. You can go up and down. We're all on the same page trying to help our children. There's a ton of coaches that give a ton of free time when it's not in season to help their kids be successful absolutely some great responsible people and try to teach our kids to give back to our communities i think one of the reasons what the foundations of what makes richmond program successful is the fact that the parents and the kids understand and buy into the hard work blue collar attitude which we all aspire to be We're, we can't all be the most talented We're, we don't have very many division one players but we expect to go compete against division one division two division whatever it doesn't matter how big your school is we measure our heart. We our, our our slogan is the brotherhood that we want to try to understand that it's all about what we do to, together, our experiences and and to grow our programs. Um, we try to. We're just a small. We're a small community. We're losing more. We're almost ready to go down to another division, but we still are expected. I expect to go compete against Division One schools every day. Absolutely, so that's the expectation. Fantastic, Scott. Matt, what about you? What's the one thing you want people to know about your school? Uh, our school is, uh, you know, we're kind of, we, we like to call it, we're like a, a, a hidden gem here in, in Southeastern Michigan. Um, we are going back to what, what Scott just said there is the fact that uh, we are definitely a, a, you know, blue collar type of a, uh, you know, hardworking, you know, we're going to come out and outwork it type of school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, just like everybody else, we got slogans and things that, that we kind of rally on and do all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, one of the big ones for us is, is effort and attitude are the two things you control at all given times. Another one is, you know, we, you know, be based on where we are. We want to be gritty over pretty. Um, <laughs> I love we, that. We, we want to be, we want to be after it. And, I love um, that. and we have some great, great families within our, within our community. And, um, in, I teach at the middle school, so I'm able to kind of see some of those kids before they even get to the high school. And it's kind of nice to have those relationships with there. So we have, we have a lot of people that look out for each other here. Awesome. Fantastic. Dan, what about you? What's the one thing you want people to know about your school? Well, first of all, Gross Point is a baseball community. 
I mean, there's just no doubt about that. We've got three schools in Gross Point that have all won multiple titles, uh, ourselves, North, and Liggett. And um, the thing that I guess I would have to say I'm the most proud of in terms of our program is it's all been from kids who live in half a suburb. Right. Okay. Gross Point Farm City, basically park, uh, you know, it's half a suburb. North is Gross Point Woods, Gross Point Shores. Okay. Um, we cannot recruit. We don't have open enrollment. Mm -hmm. uh, a kid who lives in North District cannot even come to South. Um, so all of our accomplishments have been with homegrown kids. And that's mm -hmm. what uh, I'm the most proud of and most thankful for also because uh, these kids know a lot before I get before they get to high school. Right. And it makes my job easier. Um, but that's the thing that I, I think I'm, I'm the most proud of is that they're all our own. Okay. I can't go out and just get who I want. Yep. Um, nobody can come here either unless they move. <laughs> they, they can't. Right. So, um, you know, we've won 25 district titles and, and, you know, the other championships and so on. And, and they've all been with homegrown kids. That's awesome. Coach Wooley, uh, top us off here for the last one here. You know, what's the one thing you want people to know about our, or our Lanphier Rams? Because I am also a Lanphier Ram myself. <laughs> uh, I love gritty over pretty. I love the fact That's that we're a small line. town, blue collar, all those things apply. I, I would say that one of the things that we carry, because um, we do a lot of acronyms over here versus slogans, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do them <laughs> shortened down a little bit. So uh, one of the things that we look for is OKGs, which is our kind of guy. Um, and that kind of guy is at the end of the day, you know, you competed against somebody, their uniform's completely dirty. They squeezed as close to a hundred percent of whatever they were able to give you on the field out of them and, and did the most with the opportunity that they were given to play on any, any given day. That's the thing that I want people to take away when they play a land for your high school baseball team. So know that we're going to be competitive. We're going to stick our chest out the same way Scotty told us, you know, division one, division two, division three, division four, doesn't matter. We're going to play the best of the best and try to compete as hard as possible. Um, on a side note, yep. to all three of you gentlemen, you know, you were asked to do this in very, very short notice. And it just speaks to the type of guys that you are. I really, really appreciate you adapting and, yes. and making this show very, not only worthwhile, but this is this was excellent. There's going to be some things that hopefully if people are listening, they're going to pull away and take away from some great, you know, legendary type coaches and who have some great information. So I want to thank you each personally for doing that for us and coming up big for us in such a short amount of time. Thank you guys. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I you know, I echo that sentiment for sure. Um, there's a lot of questions that I didn't even get to today just because we're short on time that I would definitely love to have another one, even if it's just you saying three guys coming on in five, six weeks from now, depending how the season's going, obviously, right? So, <laughs> but uh, to talk to you guys again, um, to say that this was awesome and a learning experience for myself personally, um, uh, I can't imagine what the, what the folks at home are going to get from this. So thank you very much for coming on here. I do want to echo one more time too. If you are a high school coach listening, to this show before we sign off, please do reach out to us. Um, I know Coach Oli has been, you know, vigorously reaching out to tons of coaches around the state to, you know, to see what's going on with each individual program. There's so much great talent out there, so many great programs that we want to shed a light on. Uh, the only way we can do it, though, to get everybody or to get as many people as we can during this baseball season is um is to let us know and to reach out to us directly so we really appreciate that whether it's through myself or coach Wooley. uh but that's going to do it for this episode of state champs extra innings podcast uh once again thank you so much to scott evans matt fournier and dan greasebaum for their insight for adam Wooley, 
I'm Rob Mendeika saying thanks for tuning in and join us next week on the State Champs Extra Innings podcast. Thank you.